You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 66 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. And as always, we are happy that you're here. And as always, joining me, Gandalf, is Matt and Nathan Van Horn. How are you doing, guys? Doing well. Shalom. That's, that's, that goes at the end, Nathan. Works, say, it, works, say, it, it works either way. It's like the aloha of biblical Hebrew. No. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also reminding and you, hey, shalom, you. And shalom works because it sounds a lot like Salem. I was going to say, it's where we're going today. That's pretty good. Well, not easy, fellas. Yeah, easy. Got, yeah. Trying to steal segues back. <laughs> Yurtle the turtle must fall. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, just real quick, a reminder to you guys, not you guys, Matt and Nathan, but the audience, that if you're not subscribed to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, to go ahead and do that. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever that mainstream listening platform you are listening for. Just make sure you're hitting the thumbs up, the five stars, the like, whatever that looks like. Make sure you're getting a notification every Tuesday when it, we release a new episode of the podcast. And if you are one of these guys who are listening on like Podcast Underground or uh, Pod FM or one of these weirdo podcast websites, then you do you. And uh, thank you for your listenership. Well, if, if they're listening <laughs> on those, they're already doing them. Right? <laughs> they are. That's right. What, by the these, way. These, these, would you say You're weirdo? Right? Way to maintain neutrality. <laughs> well, I got all these notifications last week that people were were listening on these platforms that I've never heard of that looked like they were made in uh, Yahoo GeoCities, <laughs> uh, like website creator, like these really obscure websites. But there are people listening there. Angelfire.com. So <laughs> Matt, where are we going to be today? Well, we're actually going to look at two locations, two sp- Two cities, to be exact, which kind of leads me to a question. What is the best-selling novel of all time? I probably just gave away the answer. I feel like that I know the answer because you've kind of given that away. Yeah, right? I was going to – and, to, and to, if you had not said that, I would have guessed like one of the Harry Potters. I would have I would have said Harry Potter as well if, if it had not been for that spoiler. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Harry Potter is definitely top five. Um, or at like least is the a first series one. or just the first book? No, the first one, the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, that's right. They changed <laughs> they they changed the name to dumb it down for the American audience, right? <laughs> which, which implies that Americans didn't know what a philosopher was, but they know what a sorcerer oh, is. Oh yes, which I don't. I don't really too get mean, that one. Britain. Too mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that one. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Charles Matt, Dickens' before- Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to dispute that because I'm I'm looking at a list now that says that Don Quixote is number one. Time out and time out. Let me let me uh, mediate this. Uh, who are your respective sources? Um, I'm on Goodreads.com. Ooh. Um, oh, that's good. See, I got my information from Wikipedia. Game has, set match. Uh, it's over. Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, Wikipedia Listen, wins. Wikipedia has footnotes. It has to be authentic. 
I have I have a friend and neighbor who contributes to Wikipedia, so I'm siding with Matt just on loyalty <laughs> to that friend. <laughs> well, and there's also the fact that um, Don Quixote has nothing to do with today's episode. Oh, there's, so, there's so that too. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're thinking more and more like a pastor. <laughs> That's right. So um, hopefully, it will become apparent of this whole idea of these tale of two cities as the reading goes forth today. But why don't I begin by doing the reading? Just to remind us of where we have been, we talked about the big battle in the Valley of the Kings um, last week and how Abram went up and rescued Lot from the king of Alam, and now he's brought him back. So we pick up our story there. Oh, by the way, I I heard from several of you um, that reached out after last week's episode and said that it was a blessing to you. And um, I'm glad I, I will, I will second that last week's episode was a blessing to me. Honestly, um, I, the things that we talked about last week, I had never thought about until we started preparing for the episode. And it goes to a point that Nathan made to us last week, cause he was sharing the same feelings. And that is the blessing of studying the Bible in a group with others. Mm. And just what comes to the surface when you have, you know, multiple eyes looking and multiple mouths reading, it's, uh, it's very helpful. So, okay. All that said, Genesis chapter 14, verses 17, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, and we're going to talk about this enigmatic character named Melchizedek. So here we go. All right. All, as always from the ESV. After his return, now the his, the he here is Abram. After his return from the defeat of Kedur Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. You remember Dr. Van Horn instructed and helped us last week. The whole went out. Some of the commentators believe went out means crawling out of the bitumen pit hole. All right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So anyway. That, by the way, this has, I'm, I'm interrupting your reading. Go for it. Go for but it. But went out was my favorite uh, Hebrew verb to learn because in Hebrew it's yatsa, and I always thought of went out like Yahtzee, mm. like the dice coming out of the little cup thing. So yeah, mm. uh, if there's any way to work in that little NBC, the more you know music into the episode, that would be great there. <laughs> Future Gandalf, make it happen. Yeah, that, that's right. Back, <laughs> to, back to you, Reverend Powell. Okay, there we go. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Um, Interesting. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. I feel like we've talked about that before. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, 
lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anair, Eshkel, and Memory take their share. And that's it. All right. Matt, so, you have a really good reading voice. You should like get an audible contract or something. <laughs> well, that's that's awfully charitable. So Matt, oh, don't you don't you worry. That's coming that's coming in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> Andy Andy Circus reads The Lord of the Rings. Matt Powell reads the Bible. <laughs> um so Melchizedek, I know if you are somewhat familiar with church or you have spent any amount of time in church, you've probably heard this name before. So uh, uh, out of curiosity, uh, before today's episode, Gandalf, uh, what would you have said about Melchizedek? You know what? I'm not sure that I... It's a name that I've heard. I know I've heard it a lot, but I'm not sure I can place, ascribe it with any particular thing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's a name that I'm familiar with, though. Uh, I'm not really sure why. Yeah. So looking in verse number 18, it says he is king of Salem. And when we hear Salem here, Nathan, isn't it correct that we should think like Jerusalem? Isn't there Jewish tradition? Yeah, we're not we're not positive. uh, But many, many scholars think this is a shortened uh, form of, of Jerusalem. I did Jerusalem um, say Salem Salem. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and, 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 and there's biblical reasons for that. Uh, so like in Psalm 76 two, it says his tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. And clearly there Salem means Jerusalem. It was interesting uh, so, in a couple of the resources I looked at, it said that some argue uh, king of Shechem um, or the whole idea that this is Mount Gerizim. And it was found in some Dead Sea Scroll writings and stuff like that, which is interesting to me. It, it makes you wonder if somebody was trying to capture and claim Melchizedek, you know, for their own mountain of worship. So disputed nobody point. puts nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> um, That's right. But so you know, you mag- asked what we thought of Melchizedek, and um, you know, I, I would say I felt like I knew more before I did reading and digging for today's episode. The more, the more you <laughs> dig, you the more you dig into the interpretive tradition around Melchizedek, the more you're just, what in the world? You know, you just want to put all these people who say different things in the same room and say, stay in there until you reach an agreement. Uh, so we'll, we'll go with that. let me throw out a couple of things that I, I remember hearing as a kid. Um, I remember uh, hearing a pastor teach on this when I was a kid. And he said that Melchizedek was a Christophany. Are you familiar with that language, Gandalf? Christophany. Uh, Can't say that I am. It, it, the whole idea, we say it in another way, pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, okay. Um, that this is somehow Jesus. And, and I know he is not the only one I've heard that from. I've, so that, I've heard that before. I've yeah. never fully understood that. I'm not trying to, uh, sure. you know, to to be combative about this. I've never fully understood uh, equating Melchizedek as pre-incarnate Christ just because of the New Testament, you know, especially in Hebrews, you are a high priest forever, quoting Psalm 110, according mm-hmm. to the order of Melchizedek. Why say according to the order of Melchizedek if Melchizedek and Christ are one and the same? Right. 
Um, is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, but it is neat that you know you have bread and wine makes you think of the Lord's Supper, communion, mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. and he receives a tithe from Abraham. Mm. Uh, so that's neat. Mm-hmm. Is that is that why they say he's a pre-incarnate Christ because of of those elements? Or is he is he mentioned somewhere else? Well, I, I think he part of it is just the it's, he's just this yeah. enigmatic figure. You know, his name is a compound Hebrew word, Melech and Zedek. So it's something like King of Righteousness or Righteous King. Or, mm-hmm. um, but we we just don't have a lot to go on with Melchizedek. He's you know Hebrews makes this point. He doesn't have a genealogy, um, and so some Jewish sources reflect on this later. And try to attach him to a genealogy. In fact, Matt, uh, we were discussing uh, that some later. I think I think they're all post uh, Second Temple period. But some later Hebrew sources try to make Melchizedek a different moniker for Shem. Yes, there are some Jewish traditions that do that. Now, what I had heard previously that it was not until later rabbinic tradition that in order to deal with the whole Christian use of Melchizedek, it was in response of that. But that may not exactly be true, because in prep for this episode, there may have been some that saw Melchizedek as Shem um, maybe even before, during the Second Temple period or something like that. Uh, Yeah, I I can't think of any Second Temple sources, but we just don't know... We just so, don't know what the the so, motive was. For, yeah, so there is the, something there is something interesting, and perhaps you all remember from a few episodes back when we talked about the difference between the genealogy of Shem and his descendants, the difference between the Septuagint and the Masoretic text. The Septuagint adds about a hundred years to each lifespan, and now. By the way, I say adds. <laughs> it adds it compared to the Masoretic text. Uh, so we've talked about issues between the Septuagint, the Greek translation, uh, and the and Masoretic text. So if if the Septuagint is the authentic timeline, then Shem would be long time dead by the time Melchizedek comes around by like hundreds of years. However, if the Masoretic text is correct, and most Bibles reflect the Masoretic text here, uh, then Shem could be alive. But I think what confuses me, Nathan, is if this was Shem, why not just say Shem? <laughs> I was literally about to ask that. It's like, well, why, why not just call him Yeah, that maybe that's, uh, you know, oversimplified. Is this one of those things where they don't go into detail on Melchizedek because it's not important or because you were already supposed to know? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, the more I dug into this rabbit hole, the the more like <laughs> I the more like I felt I needed a better shovel. Well, um, because we talked about that with like the kings list, right? They don't go into a whole lot of depth. That's because you're kind of already supposed to see the pattern there as a ancient reader. So is it? The, I don't. I was. I'm just wondering. Is it the same thing here? We're supposed to go. Oh, Michael Melchizedek. Well, so I know him. You know, in, in previous episodes, uh, we, we've we've hinted around this thing. Sometimes, if I hit a dead end pursuing one line of questioning, I'm, I'll ask myself, "Am I pursuing the right line of questioning?" So, the the who is Melchizedek does not get you very far. I I do think to the you know the whole uh, tale of two cities thing. The where of Melchizedek is very interesting. 
Uh, you you know, Abram is dealing with two kings in the scene. You know, we know. In other words, we know that there are other characters around them. There, some of them are mentioned at the end. We know Lot is in tow, but Lot, the, the only key players in the scene are Abram, uh, who is the Lord's chosen and anointed, mm-hmm. and then you have the king of Sodom, who's just crawled out of his hole in the ground. Right. Uh, shake, 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 Yahtzee. Um, uh, and, <laughs> oh, and then you Nathan, have Mo- hey, m- mention that we the king of Sodom, his name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We need we, to mention this is interesting. Yeah, we, we don't know earlier in the chapter. Um, just just the verse random two. the random uh, threads that we chase in verse two. His name is set forth as Bera. Uh, and trying to trying to look into the etymology of his name. Some say that's a compound of a base preposition uh, with the Hebrew word "raf" or "bad" or "evil." We so, talked about that. You know. So. He's the he's the, he's the all up in the evil king of Sodom, um, and others associate it with an Arabic root bara'ah, uh, which just means triumph. And so, I mean, look look at this side by side. You have a, an evil king, the king of Sodom, and Melchizedek, whose name means righteous king. The righteous uh, king. One, yeah. one is the king of Sodom, which is associated with wickedness and warfare, mm-hmm. a, and the other one is Salem, which means peace. <laughs> mm. Uh, so uh, this very much so is tale it's also, of two cities. Jerusalem becomes the eternal city, and then and Sodom will be burned to the ground. And Sodom becomes the city devoted to destruction. Like yeah, this, uh, this so reminds me of uh, Roman history, uh, uh, a, a pretty uh, important chapter in Roman history uh, was the Punic Wars with the Carthaginians, um, and there was a Roman senator by the name of Cato. And whatever they were talking about in this uh, in the Roman Senate on a given session, Cato would you know contribute an opinion to anything, and he would end whatever he said was. Uh, I mean, he would end whatever he said with, "And I think Carthage should be burned to the ground." <laughs> <laughs> this is going so, to continue to be a problem until Carthage is burned to the ground. Um, I think so, someone wrote a history on that that said Carthage must be destroyed. Um, so. Like what I see here is something that we've been doing with our two youngest daughters in the evening. We have been reading a kid's version of Pilgrim's Progress. And oh, love Pilgrim's oh, Progress. Oh, man. Absolutely love it. And the, this this version has is, uh, really been good. It's easy for them to Can understand. Can I borrow that? Because the grown-up version is dense. It is dense. It is. The, the kid <laughs> version. So what's funny is the... I mean, I'm uh, asking asking for a friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when Christian has his encounters with Faithful Pathfinder, the other character that he meets along the way. Um, anyway, what was funny is that a couple of the pictures depict them on a journey together. And we were in the um, a, a Mexican restaurant here in town this uh, past week. And my daughter was sitting with me, my youngest daughter, Lucy, and she looks up and there's this painting of a guy walking down the road. And she's like, Daddy, it's Faithful Pathfinder. I was just, something is landing. I'm grateful. But the premise of that, you've got two cities. You've got the celestial city and you've got the city of destruction. And like, obviously, Bunyan has gotten his ideas Um uh the the writer of uh, Pilgrim's Progress is is rooted in these ideas of Scripture. So this is where the whole tale of two cities is. You've got the city of peace, and then you've got Sodom. Actually, what's the etymology of Sodom? I should have no thought. idea, no idea. Huh? That'd be interesting to know. But anyway, you've got 
the city of peace and the city devoted to destruction. And it's also interesting to me that the king of righteousness is secure in the city of peace, but the king of triumph is hiding in a hole. Yeah. Because and he's again, a king of war. And again, think, uh, we talked about this last week. It's not just a hole, it's a bitumen pit, right? right. There are things in this. A really so sticky I, I do, hole. <laughs> even though I don't see anything in the text that links Melchizedek to Shem, it is interesting that later interpreters were trying to establish continuity with the Noah story because we saw things in, in chapter 14 as a whole, uh, you know, one of the kings of Shinar, the bitumen, that ties back to Babel, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's tying the chapters of that saga together. Um, what's interesting to me, Matt, uh, is something you said, and I'm trying to... <laughs> I just had her. a funny thought. <laughs> if if well, this is Shim, then, uh, then all of these people fighting are his children. <laughs> so he's just that, bringing... That. <laughs> He's just bringing in a peace offering. Like I'm just Y'all so glad. get along now. <laughs> my, my kids can get along. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're angry because they need a snack. I'll bring out <laughs> juice and crackers. Yeah, uh, bread and wine. Yeah. Um, uh, it, so, uh, Matt, uh, share what you uh, told me beforehand about the difference between uh, what Melchizedek brings into the scene versus oh. Berah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about the whole idea of the gifts that are being offered. First, we see that Melchizedek, the king of peace, he is bringing out a not so much of a gift, but he's sharing an experience with all those who are there, the, the, bre- the bread and the wine. Um, but what's interesting is Melchizedek offers Abram a blessing, but doesn't do so with a gift. I mean, he gives bread and wine, but there's no like possessions. But specific, or, specifically to Abraham, there yes. is a blessing, but no gift. A blessing, but no gift. But then when you look at what immediately follows is Bera, the king of Sodom. In verse, yeah, in verse 22. That's yeah. right. Offers Abram no blessing, but he does offer him a gift. And Abram refuses the gift from Sodom but receives the blessing from Melchizedek. And man, I can think of a lot of pastoral applications to that right there. But that that's something that stood out to me. And not only did Abram um, receive the blessing, but Abraham offered of his resources a gift. A tenth to, of everything. That's right. To, yeah, um, first, to Melchizedek. First tithe in the Bible. That's right. Um, so it's just interesting to me that Abram refused... Uh, the gift that came without the blessing. Well, well and to me, uh, a couple things. You know, I, I think back to the beginning of Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. Mm-hmm. Melchizedek blesses Abraham, right? And right. and is blessed with a tenth of everything. Uh, you don't get any you don't get any sense that it was a necessary quid pro quo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he blessed Abraham and he blessed Abraham's God, King of the Most High God. My, meanwhile, the wicked king of Sodom doesn't think to do that. He's like, well, Abraham, just take your share of the plunder. Uh, and Abraham doesn't want anything to do with that. He says, and again, he makes it a statement of faith. He 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 includes the ingredient that the king of Sodom left out. Mm-hmm. I have lifted my hands to the Lord, God most high. The same guy that Melchizedek referenced, the possessor of heaven and earth, 
that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say I have made Abram rich. This is what Abraham gets right that Lot got wrong. Lot favored to, uh, Lot settled towards Sodom and Gomorrah because it looked favorable, um, but it was also outside of the scope of blessing. <laughs> um, and and so, I think it goes back to what we've talked about before from Hebrews eleven. Abraham is just looking at a different horizon. He is he is he is looking for a different city, and. The other characters just are not. They are caught up in the here and now. It's it's interesting reading this chapter. There, there's a lot of uh, familiar elements to, you know, a 21st century believer. Like we see bread and wine. That's a super familiar element to us. Uh, mention of a priest here, and then also a tithe. Mm. Is is this the first time that talking about a priest of God? Is this the first time we've seen that so far? I, explicitly, I would think so. You, okay. So you certainly have sacrifices offered to God, but someone being given the title of priest of God Most High, I think this is the first occasion. Hmm. Uh, and again, again, it's it, the locations are interesting. You know, they're, they're these are both within the scope of the promised land, uh, but Salem, if Salem is Jerusalem, is the place where um, you will have two things in Jerusalem, um, and. This will be the place of the temple, but it'll mm-hmm. also be the place of the palace, uh, priest and king. That's uh, right. And, that's uh, and, what- and, and Melchizedek kind of brings together those roles. Um, and, you know, we've already said earlier in the episode that Melchizedek gets brought into the, you know, is, is mentioned in Hebrews when it's setting forth the eternal high priesthood of Jesus. But Jesus is not just a priestly figure. He's also a. Yeah, a royal figure. Yeah, kingly figure. Uh, so you know the the Davidic heir. I think for maybe the help of our readers here as we're winding this down, let me read Hebrews chapter seven, just a few verses here. It says, "For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything." He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Um, Now, there's more that's said there, and if you'd like to look at that on your own time, just go to Hebrews 7. But I think it's the because two- we're trying to stay under thirty minutes. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But it's capturing the two part that that Jesus is the priest king. But also, I love the whole two part emphasis here that Hebrews is pointing out is this is peace and righteousness that that Jesus is not patterned after these other kings that the the triumph of Christ is anchored in righteousness and peace rather than conquest at another's expense. And th- that's just so beautiful to me. And it's also the antithesis of just every so-called great man of history. You know, the, mm. gr- the great men of history, it's all, it's all about blood. And- so when your friends ask you, who is Melchizedek? 
you can just say he's the king of peace and righteousness. They're, oh, everybody knows man, who Melchizedek is. That's yeah. right. Just act, just act like it's self-evident. Yeah, like he's the... Well, Melchizedek, in, in terms of like a lot of other biblical characters, you want to be like Melchizedek. He comes in, he does his thing, good things about him, and then he gets out. Like we don't follow him long enough for him to screw something up, or, you know, like a lot of other biblical characters. He's do. the Tom Bombadil of the Bible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. It is. It, that, that is we interesting. Reference. That is interesting because... We're trying to figure him out, just like Tom. So, so what we're saying is, he's completely out of any uh, movie depiction of the Bible. He's not going to make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never seen Melchizedek. Uh, so, by the way, because not all of our listeners listen are, are familiar with Lord of the Rings, Tom Bombadil is this enigmatic character in the Lord of the Rings that seems to defy all the the laws of the other characters regarding the ring, and so there's this big, huge discussion of. Who is he? What is he? Where does he come from? And it's never answered in the novels, nor is it answered in the the extra works and notes that Tolkien left behind. He Tolkien refused yeah, to answer it for us. So, um, and I th- I think I think there's something here with that though. Just like Tom Bombadil, I think sometimes readers want to like they want more put in there than what than what is there. Yeah, and just like oh yeah, no we, want, we want narrative closure. Yeah. Yeah, and just like Melchizedek, he he serves the purpose that the narrative wants him to serve, and then that's it. You know, it doesn't have Melchizedek doesn't have to be secretly, you know, one you know one of the sons of Noah or anything like that, right? Mm. Man, it's just this is what the narrative wants you to know. I love though that you know his moment under the sun, like the only uh, speaking that we have from him is him blessing Abram in the name of God Most High. That's his only line. You know, it's kind of like, all right, your line in the movie and, is... And he serves a snack. <laughs> that's right. He, yeah, that's right. And, and incidentally, and, when Gandalf and I went to the Holy Land together, when we drove through the tunnel... It might and, have been it might have been second breakfast or 11sies. I don't know, but it was a snack. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. So, but when we drove through the tunnel and we came out, we were in Jerusalem. And when we got there... Uh, we stopped and pulled over, and then we had the the whole Melchizedek experience, uh, where we had bread and wine and looked over the city. So it was it was very 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 special and memorable. Gandalf, you you told us a few minutes ago you still have the cup. Uh, just those uh, those little uh, the olive wood little mini goblets they give you. <laughs> the mini goblets, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, y'all know what I'm talking. We about. We still have ours. It's it was it was very special and memorable. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was a good thing. And speaking of good things, listener, it's a far, far better thing that you can do to subscribe to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. <laughs> well played. You didn't, uh, you didn't, nice. you didn't got the segue, but that's a nice play out. Yeah, and, uh, and a far, far better podcast than you have ever known. Every Tuesday morning. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> That's right. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Weirdo Third Party. Just just subscribe and tell the algorithm that this is worthwhile content. And we'll see you here next week. Until then, you have a great one. See you next time. Shalom. There it is, Nathan. That's the correct time. <laughs>